Can a Bible prophecy be 99% right? What are some misconceptions that most Christians have about the end times? And what's the first things you need to know if you want to study Bible prophecy? We'll answer those questions today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. So I grew up in a church that was Pentecostal in the 1990s. And what does that mean? Well, I listened to WOW Worship. I had a WWJD bracelet. I would have been more excited to meet Toby Mac than the Pope. Actually, that's still true. And here's what else it means. I listened to the whole Left Behind series on tape. I heard sermons about the Antichrist and the false prophet, the Mark of the Beast, for basically my whole life. So what I'm saying is I grew up in an atmosphere of hearing all these things about the imminent end times. If my mom walked out of the room for five minutes and and then I went looking for her, if I couldn't find her right away... I just assumed the rapture happened and that I didn't get to go. Now, by the time I reached adulthood, I'd gotten over those fears. Um, Let me fast forward to 2014. At the end of 2014, I heard a Bible prophecy teacher named Jimmy D. Young. This guy was an expert on Bible prophecy. He uh, He came to the city where I was living. And so I went to hear him give a talk on Bible prophecy. And it really made me think, You know, I've heard bits and pieces about Bible prophecy my whole life, but I really like to put it all together. And so that's basically what I spent all of 2015 doing. Because as I came to find out, some of the stuff you hear about Bible prophecy is not always rooted in the Bible. Some of it is just cultural. Some of it is confused. And I just wanted to take some time and figure all this stuff out for myself. And I think I did. I want to share some things with you today that I learned through this process, including some assumptions I had that were proven wrong. So here's what I found out. Bible prophecy is hard to keep track of because it often feels like it plays by its own rules. And that's true, but here's the good news. It does play by rules. So if you learn the rules, you can correctly interpret the prophetic text of the Bible. Now, I don't wanna hide the ball. I I wanna be upfront and clear. As I said in the first episode, I'm an Assemblies of God minister, so I have a Pentecostal theology. When it comes to the end times, I have what would technically be called a premillennial dispensationalist view. And that's way too many syllables, I know. We don't need to get into what all that means. I'll I'll give you the basics of what that means. That means I believe in a rapture. I believe there's a future evil world leader called the Antichrist who will try to take control. I believe in a seven-year tribulation on the earth. I believe that Jesus is going to return to this earth and have a thousand-year kingdom. And I believe all those things will happen in that order. Now, that might sound like some very specific stances, but I am open to a lot of flexibility in how all of those things play out. In fact, something I want to talk about today is the danger of assuming you know exactly what's around the corner and how all of the end-time events are going to take place. So I do operate, like I said, from a premillennial framework 
when interpreting the Bible. And Bible prophecy, it, it is something I want to talk about on this podcast, but before I can do that, what I want to do today is lay out some ground rules. Basically, what would I want people to know first if they wanted to study Bible prophecy? And that's what today is, your Bible prophecy starter pack. I'm going to give you five points, five things to remember as you embark on studying Bible prophecy. So as I said, I'm going to give you five points today about how to study Bible prophecy. Five things I want you to know first. And here's the first one. Point number one, Bible prophecy cannot be wrong because God knows the future. Let me start with some verses from Matthew 16. We're going to look at the first four verses of that chapter. This is when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, one of those times where they were coming to test Jesus. They wanted to interrogate him, basically, and try to trip him up. And so it says in those verses that they came to test him and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. The sign of Jonah was that as Jonah was thought dead in the fish for three days and three nights, Jesus would be dead for three days and three nights. In other words, these people wanted a miracle when they say a sign. You know, what it it means is they basically want a magic trick. They thought that miracles were cool. But Jesus knows that we shouldn't rest our faith on miracles because the devil can copy supernatural miracles and manifestations. Uh, We see this in Exodus chapter 7 verse 11. Look at 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. Uh, I believe 1st or 2nd Timothy warns us about this. Don't just rest our faith on miracles because the devil can do counterfeits or duplicates of these things to deceive people. But there is something that Satan and demons can't do. What they can't do is predict the future. Jesus said that future prophecy, not miraculous signs, future prophecy is the proof of his divinity because only God can know the future. God is outside of time. I know what I'm saying next. It's going to sound a little bit science fiction-y, but bear with me for a few minutes. God inhabits a dimension that we could call eternity. I want you to just imagine something for a second. Just imagine a bookshelf in front of you, okay? I want us to imagine time like a bookshelf. So you're looking at this bookshelf, and on the shelf, instead of books, it's years, basically. You see a book labeled 1991, the next book is 1992, the next book is 1993, and so on. Okay, and you standing outside of the bookshelf, you could pull out any of those books, any of those years, and take a look inside. That's what you can do because you're not one of the books, you're standing outside of the bookshelf. Okay, in a similar way, God is looking at time all in front of him, and he can enter time from any point. He can pop into 1991 and then jump back to 1963 and move forward and open the book of 2030 and see what's happening over there. God can do all of this because he can see all of time before him. Meanwhile, in this illustration, we're on the bookshelf. We only exist for a certain number of books or years on that shelf. And we only see 
wherever we are at any given moment. But God, from his perspective of eternity, he can see it all. So here's what that means to us. No matter when God interacts with us on the timeline, it's the same God. You know, from our vantage point, from us being on the bookshelf, from our vantage point, as Hebrews says, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. However, from God's vantage point, he can see all the timeline in front of him. He can see everything that's going to happen. Therefore, God has already been to the future. He knows with absolute certainty how it's all going to play out. God has popped back into the picture multiple times in the past to tell his prophets about what's coming. He tells them with exact detail at times. So God has already seen what's coming down the road. He's went back in the past and told people about what's coming. We can read about that today, where we are on the timeline. We can read about knowing what's going to come because God's already told us these things because he's already been there. I hope that's making sense to you today. So here's what I want to tell you about point one. Beware of of what I call the 99% deception. Beware of the 99% deception. Here's what the 99% deception is. And, and just think about this for a minute. If you, if you had 99% odds betting on a horse race, I mean, you'd consider that awesome odds. If, if the weatherman was right 99% of the time, he would be considered the greatest weatherman in the country. If there was a casino game that you knew you could win 99% of the time, that's, that's the only one you'd want to play. But when it comes to Bible prophecy, we're looking for 100%, not 99 99% sounds good, but if a Bible prophecy is only 99% right, it hasn't come true. Because God's not even going to be 1% wrong. He has seen the future. He gave it to us plainly. It will all be 100% correct or fulfilled. Sometimes Christians will pull a prophetic passage from Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, and they'll say it's already been fulfilled because something similar to what was described happened many years ago. And so they'll say the parts that weren't literally fulfilled were just fulfilled spiritually. That is wrong. If it hasn't happened yet, exactly as the Bible describes it, it hasn't happened. No Bible prophecy almost comes true. They're descriptions, not predictions. When God gives prophecy, he's giving descriptions, not predictions. He's giving descriptions of the future, from someone outside of time who's already been there. Okay, if the weatherman says tomorrow it's going to be 68 degrees, and then tomorrow comes and it gets to a high of 69 degrees, the weatherman was only off by one. We'd all say he did a fantastic job, that his prediction was nearly perfect. That he wasn't off by like 5 or 10 degrees, just one. So by any reasonable standard, that prediction is good enough for anyone. But God has a higher standard than good enough. God's standard is perfection. So I repeat, no Bible prophecy almost comes true. They're descriptions, not predictions. Descriptions of the future from someone outside of time who's already been there. That's point number one today, just to recap that. Bible prophecy cannot be wrong because God knows the future. All right, let's talk about point two. False teachings always quote the Bible. Now, obviously, there's false prophets from all kinds of cults and religions that have nothing to do with the Bible. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about 
Christian teachings on prophecy, false views, okay? But they always quote the Bible. And here's why I want you to remember that. Therefore, just because you hear a, like a TikTok video theory about the future and someone slaps a Bible verse on it, it doesn't mean that they're using that verse correctly. You still need to research the context, okay? And I see crazy videos all the time. Like right now, there's a certain shot that you can get that I'm not going to say the name of <laughs> just because that'll get this that'll get this podcast flagged with some kind of disclaimer from the government or whatever. So I'm not going to say what it's called, but you know, there's a certain worldwide situation going on right now and people are are getting shots to protect themselves from it. Okay? And I'm not saying anything good or bad about all that, but here's what here's what I want to say. I see a lot of TikTok theology out there that's trying to say that these shots are the mark of the beast. Okay, and you'll hear that sometimes. Not not that they're just like the mark of the beast, but that they actually are the mark of the beast. If you get this shot, you're taking the mark of the beast warned about in Revelation. I just want you to know that is absolutely not true. That's someone ripping those verses way, way, way out of context. Or here's another one that I've seen um, sometimes shared on social media. You know, when there's like a solar or a lunar eclipse, or when something happens that makes the moon get a red shade to it, then they relate that to the book of Revelation where it says the moon will turn blood red before the day of the Lord. You know, all that stuff about like the blood moons and all that. A lot of that stuff is taking those verses way out of context. I believe those verses are going to come true someday. Someday. I don't believe that they're happening right now with these things like getting a shot or seeing a red shaded moon. I don't believe that's what the Bible was actually talking about in Revelation. Those things still have other stuff that needs to happen before those Revelation verses can be fulfilled. So when you see all this Bible prophecy misinformation out there, this is what scares a lot of people away from studying prophecy, that there's so much incorrect theology out there creating so much noise that it's hard to see what's right anymore. If you look at Jesus's big teaching on the end times in Matthew 24, he starts it and he ends it by saying the same thing. Do not be deceived. In Matthew 24, starting at verse 3, it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, First thing he said, Take heed that no one deceives you. You know what, guys? There's so many differing views on future end times events, even among good, well-intentioned Christians. There's so many differing views that some people say, I don't even think it's possible to know what's going to happen in the end times because there's just so many theories. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens. And I can understand, totally understand, why some people just give up. <laughs> because most false teachings on the end times quote from the same Bible that you and I read. It, it's never enough to hear someone's interpretation of something and then just to, to run away with it then and there. What you got to do is check it out in the context of the Bible. So listen, when you hear those things, it's never enough to just, just to hear what someone else's interpretation of something is and just run away with it from there. What you need to do is check it out in the context of the Bible. Here's some good questions to ask. What are the verses around it? What is that whole chapter about? What is the purpose of that book of the Bible? You know, if it's a quote from a person, who was he or she speaking to? Were they speaking to Christians? Were they speaking to non-Christians? 
Because that, that matters a lot in understanding the verse properly. Another good question, was it before or after Jesus' resurrection? You know, these are all things to consider because they could influence the way we interpret any given verse. So you probably know that Jesus used the Bible to counter temptation from the devil. You know, the devil would quote the Bible too when he tried to tempt Jesus. If you look at Matthew 4 or Luke 4, he tried to use verses out of context to deceive Jesus, which <laughs> it sounds laughable, but he tried to do that. And if he tried it with the Son of God, don't you think he'd try it on you as well? You know, Jimmy DeYoung, who, uh, who I mentioned earlier, he actually passed away just a few months ago earlier this year. Um, Jimmy DeYoung, I remember him saying, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. And he wasn't recommending that you do that. He was just pointing out that the Bible's a big book. There's many things in it that can be twisted, ripped out of context, whatever, whatever you want to say. You can probably find some obscure verse to back you up. And that's especially true when it comes to prophecy. I saw, I saw a Christian book. I'm going to put Christian in quotation marks there. I, I saw a Christian book by some televangelist one time just a few years ago. It was a new book. And this book was about how God wants to make you wealthy if you're a Christian. And when you cracked open the book, as I did just out of curiosity what this guy was saying, you cracked open the book, the very first thing that you read, the first page, was this verse from Isaiah 60. So here it is, Isaiah 60, 11. It says, Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. Well, I saw that, and the first thing I thought was, well, I already know that that chapter, Isaiah 60, that's a chapter about the millennium. That's a chapter about the future thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. So that comes after the rapture, after the tribulation, so until the rapture even happens, that verse is at least eight years away from being able to be fulfilled, and probably a lot longer. So th that verse, you know, that verse sounds so great. It's like, wow, the nations of the world are just going to give you their wealth? You know, it, doesn't it sound terrific? Well, this book was really just playing, I hate to say it, is playing on people's greed and hoping that they're too ignorant of the Bible to even double check it. 1 John 4, 1 tells us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And guys, I know I mentioned Satan and I mentioned false prophets a few times, but I think you're more likely to be deceived by a false teaching from a good Christian who just hasn't done his homework and is telling you something that he thinks is true, but hasn't properly checked it out yet. Some of these Christian TikTokers, they have, I think they have good intentions a lot of times. You know, I love that they're trying to make the Bible relevant to today for their viewers. But, <laughs> and I don't even have a TikTok, but uh, people send me these videos sometimes because they think it's, you know, the videos are so profound and all that. But I tell you what, at least 75% of the time, the people in the TikTok videos, they haven't done their homework on the verses they cite. And if you're a Bible teacher, I just hope you know, you've got a major responsibility to double check everything and make sure you have it all right. It says that in James 3. I can't tell you the amount of times I've wanted to teach something as a Bible teacher myself. I wanted to teach something. It felt right. But I would look up the verse in scripture and I'd, you know, I'd realize, oh, I don't know if this verse 
And scripture really says what I want it to say. Well, if you're not sure, don't run with it. Okay? And that's, that's point two right there. To say it again, false teachings always quote the Bible. So just because, here's my point in saying that, just because you see something that someone's given you a Bible verse and told you what it means, don't assume that their explanation is right. Check it out for yourself. Here's point three today. Very, very important rule here. If you're going to correctly interpret Bible prophecy, very important word, very important rule. It's only three words. Point three, Israel is Israel. Israel is Israel. Eschatology is what we call doctrines of the last things, all right? And the biggest divide in the realm of eschatology, it's over whether prophecies about a future Israel, whether they are literal or figurative. The figurative way would be to say that God is done with Israel and that the church is now a spiritual Israel and that Jesus rules in our hearts, not from like a future Jerusalem, but that he rules just in our hearts today. And I feel like all these theories about a spiritual Israel, they should have been put to bed 70 years ago, back when Israel was reborn as a modern nation. See, prior to that, it would be more understandable to think that God was done with Israel because Israel wasn't around. But today, Israel as a nation, it's back. And we can see how it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. If you want to know more on that subject, Stick around in our Ezekiel series that I've started up on this podcast because our lessons on Ezekiel, they're going to interact with several prophecies about the restoration of Israel, which we're seeing fulfilled before our eyes today. So here's another great interpretive principle. When the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. We can apply this to Israel. We can apply this to a lot of Bible prophecy subject matters. I mean, you can, you can apply this to statements that the Bible makes about the past. It's a good general interpretive rule. When the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. If someone says something and it makes sense literally, you don't have to pick it apart and see if it's a metaphor for something else. When the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. So I believe Jesus will literally come back, literally set his feet on the Mount of Olives, literally reign from Jerusalem as his capital, for a literal thousand years. And here's why I think that. I look back at past prophecies about the coming of Jesus, and I ask myself, were those prophecies literally fulfilled, or were they figuratively fulfilled? Okay, well, listen, I'm about to, I'm going to sound like Chris from Parks and Recreation, with how many literallys you're about to hear, okay? Did Jesus literally come to this earth, born of a literal virgin, die on a literal cross, and rise again three literal days later. Yes, 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 and yes. If you're a Christian of any stripe, you should have no problem acknowledging that all these prophecies were literally fulfilled. So God is going to literally regather the Jews to a literal Israel. The Antichrist will literally try to exterminate them, and Jesus will literally return to a literal Jerusalem someday. And again, May 14th, 1948, that should have settled this debate. But the deception that God has done with the Jews, it still persists to this day. I'll probably need to talk about that more on a future episode. But for now, let's go on to point four. So point three was Israel is Israel. Here's point four today. 
Prove what you think you know. Prove what you think you know. I say this because we've accumulated so many beliefs about the end times over the years. A lot of these beliefs are actually incorrect. A lot of times based more in assumption than evidence. Okay, I'll give you an example of that. Have you ever heard before that the Antichrist is going to sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel? I have many Bible prophecy books on my shelf that claim this. I was reading one just last week, and it said it again. But that's not what the scripture says whatsoever. That's an assumption. And that idea comes from Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, which is a verse about the Antichrist. But as we read this verse, tell me if you hear it say that the Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty with Israel. Okay? Every Bible teacher who has this idea, they always cite Daniel 9.26. Let me read it to you. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And it's correct that the he in this verse, it is referring to the Antichrist. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And Bible prophecy teachers, they are correct, I think, when they interpret the week here to mean not a week of seven days, but a week of seven years. And that's a, that's a whole other issue, but I do believe, like many teachers say, this is talking about the Antichrist. It's talking about a seven-year period. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Here's what they all get wrong, though. Confirm, two things. Con number one, confirm doesn't mean to sign a contract. To confirm a covenant, it means to strengthen or enforce a contract that's already been made. So that means if there's that means there's some kind of treaty or contract among nations here, it's already been made, the Antichrist comes in and enforces it. But I want to point out one more important thing here. It doesn't say that he has a covenant with Israel. It says many. Now, Israel could very well be a part of it, but we just can't know that for sure. So I'm not saying it's definitely wrong that the Antichrist will have a covenant or treaty with Israel. It very well could happen. All I'm saying is that this has just become assumed when Scripture doesn't outright even say that he has a peace treaty with Israel. Scripture doesn't just say that. It's all just become assumed over time. And hey, I don't believe I'm going to be here when the Antichrist makes this covenant anyway, because I think the rapture is going to happen first. But just imagine for a minute, if we were here, okay? Just imagine if we were here, if we were watching for a peace treaty with Israel, and meanwhile, the real Antichrist is over there making a contract with many nations, fulfilling Bible prophecy, but we missed it because we were fixated on Israel. You see, getting details wrong in Bible prophecy could cause us to completely miss it. Here's another thing. Have you ever heard before that the Antichrist declares a one-world currency? Well, I can't find justification for that idea anywhere in Scripture. And a lot of times... In sermons about the Antichrist, a lot of times you hear Bible prophecy teachers talk about how he's going to create a one-world religion, a one-world government, and a one-world currency. Well, you could find biblical evidence for the first two. I've never seen a verse that says there's going to be a one-world currency. I think that idea maybe comes from the Mark of the Beast, uh, that teaching in Revelation 13, where it says no one can buy or sell unless they have the Antichrist mark. Now, listen, I'm not saying that the Antichrist won't try to make a one-world currency. <laughs> it's hard to say that. I'm not saying that he won't try to make a one-world currency. It's very possible that he does that. But simply saying that you need a mark 
to buy and sell, that's not the same thing as a one, wor one world currency. That's like saying that you need a bank account to write checks, and so therefore checks are a one world currency. It's technically accurate to say that you need a bank account to write checks, but it doesn't follow that checks are a one world currency. There's just so many expressions and claims about Bible prophecy that we've come to take for granted that we assume are in the Bible, but they actually aren't. And these assumptions, a lot of times they lead to confusion. So now we have many Christians who don't know the difference in the second coming of Jesus and the rapture. We have many Christians who don't know the difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. We have many Christians who don't know the difference between prophecies about the Jews and prophecies about the church. Like, have you ever heard the phrase, one will be taken and the other one left? And you hear that a lot in regard to the rapture. I'm just going to tell you something. It's not about the rapture. It's about the second coming. Matthew 24, 40 is the verse that says one, one will be taken and the other one left. But if you look at Matthew 24, if you go back to verse 29 of that chapter, it says immediately after the tribulation of those days, after the tribulation. So if, listen, if you grew up with the same church background that I did, I know that me saying stuff like this right now, it's probably making your head spin. But I just encourage you, go check it out for yourself. All right? And, and don't worry, I, I do believe in a rapture before the tribulation. I just want to be precise on how I teach it. I don't want to confuse anyone by taking things out of context. I want to give people the wrong idea about things by taking stuff out of context. So I think it would be profitable before embarking on a study of prophecy, as we're going to do on this podcast and as I hope you do in your personal life, re-examine what you can be sure of first. Before adding in any of these assumptions that we've accumulated over the years. Okay, I'll give you one more. I know I might have made your head spin a few times today. It's just going to go around a few more. All right. You know this phrase, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pandemics and plagues. You always hear these cited as signs that the end is close. Haven't we always heard that these are signs of the end times? Jesus says that those are non-signs. They're just the things that have always happened and always will happen. Jesus said in Matthew 24, don't look at those signs. Now, let me read you exactly what Jesus said. He said, these things must happen, but the end is still to come. All those things that I mentioned, those are non-signs. You can go back any time in the 2,000 years of church history ever since Jesus said that. They could have pointed to earthquakes, famines, wars. They could have said, oh yeah, this means that we're close to the end. All my life I've heard that those are signs that Jesus is going to come back soon. When Jesus actually said the opposite. He said those are all non-signs. Anything that you think you know, go back, re-examine, verify, prove it. I even found an example of a, of a misunderstood Bible prophecy from the Bible itself as I was preparing this, okay? In John chapter 7, it says, Some of the Jews didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah because they believed that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem and Jesus was raised in Nazareth, okay? Now, if you go back and look at Old Testament prophecy, Micah actually does say that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And Jesus did come from Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. But the Jews also assumed that it meant Jesus would be raised there. And that was assuming, that was assuming something that the Bible didn't say. And so that wrong assumption led them to reject Jesus in John 7. Because they said, well, he's not from Bethlehem. He came from Nazareth. 
you know, as we all know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, then he grew up at Nazareth. But the Jews misunderstood that prophecy because they assumed something that the Bible didn't technically say. And that assumption led them to reject Jesus in John chapter 7. I mean, think about that. There are Jews who rejected Jesus and went to hell because they made assumptions about Bible prophecy that weren't really there. So we need to be careful. When studying Bible prophecy, prove what you think you know. One more thing I want to give you today, fifth point, and this one might sound pedantic, but this is actually important and I'll tell you why. Point five today, it's Revelation, not Revelations. The last book of the Bible is called Revelation, not Revelations. The full name of that book, it's the Revelation to John or the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And honestly, just this week, (laughs) I just saw a pastor on Facebook this week. He was asking for recommendations of Bible studies on Revelations. This is misquoted all the time. It's not the actual title. The actual title is Revelation. And again, I know it sounds like I'm being pedantic. This is actually an important point to understanding the purpose of the book. Revelation does not, it does not refer to revealing the end of the world. It's about the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ to the world. And why is that an important point to make? Well, let me ask you a question. Um, Just to take us out of this, switch gears here for a second. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been mocked or mistreated for being a Christian? Well, if so, that, that can stink. And Christians around this planet are being not just mocked and mistreated, even killed for their faith. I was reading just a while back about a pastor and five congregants. They were rounded up and killed as they were walking out of their church in Burkina Faso uh, over in West Africa. You probably didn't even hear about it because Christian persecution is so common around the world, it's barely even newsworthy anymore. You know, if a mosque in some other country is shot up, it could be front page news in America for weeks. But it's like the world turns a blind eye to Christian persecution. Well, God, however, does not turn a blind eye. He gave suffering Christians the book of Revelation. And basically what this book was saying to them is that you will someday be vindicated for what you went through. Those people who mocked you for your Christian faith or those people who mocked God, someday Jesus will be revealed to them and they'll be found ashamed for for mocking your beliefs, for mocking the Bible. Those people who killed Christians in the name of Islam or any other false religion, someday Jesus will be revealed and they will be exposed as murderers, but you will be vindicated. That's what God was saying to them when he he gave them this book of Revelation. And I sometimes look at Christians that are so heavily persecuted in this world, and I feel like Revelation wasn't even written for me. I feel like it was written for them to let them know that they're going to be vindicated. So when we go into Bible prophecy, the point of it all is that coming vindication, the revelation of Jesus Christ to this world. So when you read in Daniel the vision of different specific nations that were prophesied, like Rome or Greece, it was all building up to a kingdom of God that would come later. When you read about the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39, it was the battle of Gog and Magog, it was all so that God could say, then they will know that I am the Lord. When we read about future judgments that are going to tear this world apart, it's all to show people in the tribulation 
that this Antichrist doesn't have things under control, but Jesus will appear right there at the end, and the Antichrist is exposed as a fraud, and Jesus is revealed. The point of prophecy is about Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.10 says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, if your study in Bible prophecy doesn't connect back to Jesus, you're doing it wrong. But if you followed the five principles that I gave you today, you'll be on the right path to doing it correctly. So I want to recap those five principles again. Uh, first, before I do that, let me just ask, do you like fake news? If so, you definitely do not want to check out my other podcast. It's called Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. And on that weekly show, we look at the past week of news stories through kind of a meta-narrative of how the media covered those stories. It's a lot of fun. It's more focused on current events. So if you don't like fake news, you definitely don't want to come listen to it. But if you like laughing at fake news, come join the fun. We have new episodes of that on each Friday. And if you have a question about Bible prophecy, leave a comment, shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that, that you think I should tackle in the future. And next time on this podcast, we're going to get back into our Ezekiel series. We're going to talk through the rest of chapter one of Ezekiel. And after that, uh, episode six of this podcast, it's going to get into an interesting question that many Christ Christians have about judging. Uh, Christians often, they know they should avoid becoming a judgmental person. And Jesus told us, judge not. Yet he also told us to judge with righteous judgment. So, so how do we balance all these instructions? We're going to untangle all that in episode six. But for now, let's recap what we've been talking about today. Number one, Bible prophecy cannot be wrong because God knows the future. And that's where I told you, beware of the 99% deception. No Bible prophecy almost comes true because they're descriptions, not predictions. Point two, false teachings always quote the Bible. That's why with every verse, you need to ask, what are the verses around it? What's the whole chapter about? What's the purpose of that book of the Bible? If it's a quote from a person, you know, who was, who, who was he or she speaking to? Were they speaking to Christians, to non-Christians? Was it before or after the resurrection? Point three, remember that Israel is Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. We might make this point more comprehensively in a future lesson, but I just want to say prophecies about Israel refer to Israel. Prophecies about the church refer to the church. When the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Point four today was prove what you think you know. If you've heard things about the future from Bible teachers or your church, and you aren't sure exactly where they're getting that information, I encourage you, track it down yourself. No matter how many times you've heard it, check it out for yourself. And then number five, it's revelation, not revelations. Bible prophecy is about the singular revelation of Jesus Christ to the world. That's the climax of the story of, of all mankind, and it hasn't happened yet. There will be a day where every eye will see him, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and the point of Bible prophecy is not to make us worried about microchips or th theorize about whether every new president is the Antichrist. The point of Bible prophecy is to draw us closer to Jesus. So why did I do this lesson today? Well. I'd like to talk about Bible prophecy on this podcast. So I wanted to lay out some ground rules for interpretation first. 
And there's more I could have said. Uh, you know, for example, I think Revelation 12 and Daniel 9, those are the two most important chapters on Bible prophecy in the whole Bible. If you get those chapters wrong, you'll be literally off on everything. So maybe I should do a podcast on those, and maybe we will. Now that I've laid out the groundwork, I look forward to building on it in the episodes ahead. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that Jesus is coming back, literally. Oh,